At any major bookstore, you'll find a self-help section filled with books that teach you how to have a good life or think positively. YouTube channels that offer guided methods of living well are in no short supply. There are also personality tests, which help you discover your true self and unlock your hidden potential. But is there any truth to these things? Traditionally, evangelical Christianity has upheld prayer and personal Bible reading as the normative Christian practices for spiritual formation. Other practices that reflect self-help methods or religious mysticism are often disregarded. Yet our culture has become increasingly interested in a more holistic understanding of what it means to be human. This in turn has led to a discussion within the church of what it means to not only be human, but also how Christians ought to interact with what are commonly viewed as shallow self-help guidelines. In a society that accepts all paths to personal wholeness, whether that be through religion, exercise, or meditative practices, how are Christians unique? Does self-discovery have any place in the life of a Christian? Can holiness and personal wholeness coexist? All that and more on this edition of Questions from the People. Questions from the Pew, the intersection of faith and culture. We're your hosts, Reichard Zalameta. This is Lucas Manning. Hey, it's great to see you. Welcome, everybody. Uh, And today with us is Ruth Nathaniel. Hello, Ruth. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, she got her Bachelor of Arts in Science with a focus in neuroscience and ethics in the life sciences from the University of Guelph. That's right. And an MA in Clinical Mental Health Counseling from... Moody Theological Seminary in Chicago. She's a licensed professional counselor. She's currently working at Artesian Collaborative and the Moody Theological Seminary Counseling Center. So we're glad to to have you with us, Ruth. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me. I've heard that you've been recently engaged to a fine young man. I don't know if that's (laughs) true or not. I am, I am, uh, yes. What's his name? His name is Lucas Manning. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Wow. I, wow. I'm glad. News to Wasn't me. Sure. <laughs> it's not like you weren't at the proposal. <laughs> anyway, so today we're talking a little bit about uh, holiness and wholeness mm-hmm. and uh, essentially, I guess, how these things interact. Mm-hmm. Uh, might be a good place to start is just talking about kind of modern conceptions of holiness. I mean, generally, but also specifically in the church. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the thing that pops into my brain is like kind of a, this reach for moral perfection mm. uh, that I, I, at least I grew up with, like in a yeah. Baptist church. Holiness was like, you know, you're unique and we don't, we don't go to movies. We don't, not, I don't know if many churches do this anymore, but back then it was, we don't go to movies, you know. We just don't take partake in certain. Yeah. Like no R-rated media. movies. Yes, no R-rated movies. No Halloween. No Halloween. Yeah. That's the devil's birthday. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Literally was something that was said. Um, so I, I guess that's what pops into my mind. Yeah. I don't know what comes into. Yeah, I mean it's somewhat similar to that. I guess yeah, being set apart, being unique, almost the, 
almost an idea of like separatism, mm -hmm. you know, from the world. Um, but then when I got to Bible college, it was more so the idea of being different, being unique, being um, maybe even peculiar. Right, a peculiar people. Yeah. Which is, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, that sentiment. But why does peculiar have to mean like weird? Yeah. <laughs> like, can we be peculiar in a, in a positive way? Anyway. Right. Hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, I think so. I guess this trend for um, this idea of holiness that's more so focused on moral scrupulo what is the word scrupulosity scrupulosity whoa yes quite the word mm -hmm. can you what is scrupulosity can you give us a quick a quick rundown honestly from what i know yes. it's essentially like religious ocd mm. so taking what has been taught to you as essentially like law and adjusting your behaviors accordingly um, so for, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of like an everyday example that maybe I've engaged with mm. early on, but you know, I don't know, maybe in like your prayer life or whatever, if you don't cover your bases, that's the idea, like mm. covering your bases is mm. imperative to a functional mm. faith life. So it gets very right. rigid and... Right. And if you don't, you're just bad. And task-oriented, mm, I would yeah. say. It's probably very task... Like, checking probably, off boxes. And that's probably seen, like, within a community, too. So that's yeah. right. even more... Yeah, I mean, pressure. I saw that in my... Yeah, my growing up is, like... Like, I felt horrible if I didn't read the Bible every day, at yeah. least in some way. Yeah. Which or if like, you didn't know as many scripture passages as another yes. kid. Oh, <laughs> dang. <laughs> we all knew that kid who had everything memorized yeah. in Sunday school. Maybe so what if you know Matthew 5, 6, and 7? <laughs> yeah. He wept. <laughs> yeah. Jesus wept. I know the Bible, too. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I think yeah. that's, like, traditionally what we thought of when we think of, like, yeah. holiness. Mm -hmm. um, I think so... Part of where this comes from is um, Lutheran pietism. That's a nice, nice little phrase that you can go. Right <laughs> what do you mean by? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So within, like, not necessarily Luther, but within the denomination that he spawned was, uh, I guess, a conglomerate of people who were very focused on like rigid moral standards, getting close to. Um, Martin Luther, the Protestant. Mar Martin Luther, reformer. the Protestant reformer, not Martin Luther King Jr., the civil rights <laughs> movement leader. Um, but yeah, so essentially it was really rigid mor uh, moral standards, like strict discipline, like I said, kind of like ascetic asceticism, mm. um, which kind of, it didn't just stay in Luther, like in the Lutheran tradition, but really all like protestantism was affected by it mm -hmm. anyway uh so yeah i think that's that's at least part of where it comes yeah. from and from a pentecostal tradition too um i feel like a lot of the urge towards holiness and the holiness movement was to usher in the second coming of christ right this idea that if yeah. we get our hearts right and our you know and our actions right then we can speed up jesus return mm. um yeah at least that's what it was growing up right mm -hmm. whereas in like baptist churches it's like don't get caught sinning when jesus comes back <laughs> it's, it's like it's like 
if you're looking at porn when Jesus comes back, you're gonna be embarrassed. <laughs> like I don't know that. <laughs> Sorry, not that it's it is porn is very destructive, but I'm just saying. Right. Like, it's this weird like when Jesus walks in the door to come home, you better not be doing something right. that you shouldn't, which yeah. is like, yeah, to me unhelpful. Yeah. Uh, I right. Guess. And and it just fosters like a like a community that's like. I guess the holiness is motivated more by like fear. Yeah. It seems like, which yeah. is, I guess to me. By the outcomes of right. the holiness instead of right. the holiness itself. Right. And yeah. it's all personally motivated. It's like, yeah. I'm going to be bad or Jesus is going to be yeah. embarrassed by me. Very utilitarian. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. In, it's a, in one's approach to holiness. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting. And so I think that, I guess, attitude has spawned. Uh, and and upheld like certain ways of uh, like or certain practices certain spiritual practices yeah Um, so for instance like daily devotions in the bible um, which is not a bad thing Mm -hmm. Um, but like I said earlier like it's it's something you gotta do because you Mm -hmm. gotta be in the word because you wanna you know you wanna be like Christ right or you know whatever it is and the thing is like so even with that like historically the church has not had like one the bible in a language they could read during the right. entire middle ages right. and two just access to a text yeah um, it would have been yeah. like especially in the early church it would have been read orally yeah. to the mm-hmm. community yeah. to the, or even within like the protestant like reformation like in the in the 16th century yeah. 1500s people make a people today make a big deal as they should about the privilege of having your own copy of, yeah. of the Bible, yeah, yeah. and they kind of look down on on the 1500s church because, mm-hmm. well, you know, the common people didn't have right. language; they had to rely on, or they didn't have copy of scripture. They had to rely on the priest. Church, well, yeah. it, was pr- it was a practical right. measure at that point. It was expensive mm-hmm. to have your own copy of the Bible because right, somebody had to actually copy it. Right? <laughs> they didn't have the printing press yet, right. so it was by necessity. Right. Um, but yeah, a lot of like what you said, like there there wasn't this idea of devotional reading. Right. Quick aside to say that the printing press, we don't think of it very often, but it has shaped everything mm-hmm. in the world now. Because oh, yeah. before that, community or you know, uh, cultures were orally based generally. Mm-hmm. There were obviously texts written down, yeah. but they had to be copied hand by hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you said, expensive yeah. and just labor intensive. Yeah. Whereas the printing press comes around, and now everything's in text. Yeah. Like everything yeah. we we appeal to constitutions which mm-hmm. are written documents yeah everything is text-based anyway yeah. so that's well, just yeah, a little before aside. sorry yeah a little more of an aside yeah. martin luther wasn't the first person within the church to think of the ideas that he did that mm-hmm. led to the split mm-hmm. with the roman catholic church mm-hmm. there were plenty of people before him but it was because of the use of the printing press that mm-hmm. his ideas mm-hmm. spread spread so quickly mm-hmm. you know honestly that's great yeah that's news to me i need to brush up on my reformation history (laughs) that's awesome though anyway yeah so so there's i guess like one of the traditional practices that i guess most evangelical churches support is that daily devotions in the word not necessarily a bad thing Mm -hmm. uh another is just prayer but in my experience it's so prayer is a pretty broad pretty broad word Mm -hmm. i mean uh i mean if you want to even say prayer and meditation like it's even more broad as to like what you could mean but it seems like in evangelical circles like petition yeah is like the prayer right. that you pray you know what i mean yeah. and like i think ah, i can't remember the 
the acronym, but we were taught to like, I think, thank God first <laughs> and then like praise him and then ask for stuff. Those are like the three, yeah. which is I, not entirely wrong. There was, was just, an acronym. It was, yeah. Oh, ACTS. It was for me, it was adoration. Mm-hmm. C, confession, T, thanksgiving, and then S, supplication, yes. which is like presenting your request <laughs> yes. to God. Wow. That is the same thing. I, which, once again, I think the theme of this podcast episode is going to be, it's not that these things are totally and completely wrong and deplorable. It's just that they're like kind of incomplete. And it's, we can, I think we can do better than asking God for stuff. Or maybe we put too much weight. That yes. Yeah. 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 You yeah. Know? yeah. <clears throat> incorrect focus. Yeah. Yeah. But even prayer, like mm. so much of prayer today within Protestant evangelical Christianity is seen as like a one-on-one time with God. Oh, yeah. So much of prayer within the history of the church and then even before the church, the Jewish community was mm. done communally. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't even think like religious practice by yourself, like what are you even talking about right. back then? You know what I mean? Right. Because you literally have to go to a place where there's tons of priests and slaughter an animal. And well, that's one thing that I've learned is like when you go for like a sin sacrifice, right? Like it's not just that like I'm taking this to like confess my sin, but like everybody in the community sees you going to like right. do that. So it's yeah. like a community. It's in an open repentance. courtyard. Yeah. So, yeah. so like your business is everyone's business. Yeah. <laughs> like the, yeah. mm-hmm. There is no like confession in personal prayer right. or anything like that. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, now that these things are bad, but they are like painted by our the culture that we live in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then another one is church attendance. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go to church, or else you're not a Christian. <laughs> Don't abandon the gathering. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being ridiculous. But I will. Yeah. One thing is that it's a misapplication of the Sabbath. Yeah. Which is one of the Ten Commandments, and essentially we've taken that as Christians and said we should do church on Sunday, mm-hmm. and that's in the Ten Commandments. Um, and really, and really, it's not. I, we don't have time to get into what <laughs> the Sabbath means. But all that to say, oh, yeah, we love church. I think church is very yeah. helpful. They're um, they're very clear commands within the right. New Testament to Absolutely. not forsake the right. uh, the regular meeting together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I mean to me, especially in our culture, it's like Jesus and me. So the like the reminder that like oh I'm like a part of of a community of people who believe is like something we need all the time right maybe more anyway all I'd say go to church <laughs> or don't if you need a break or if you need a break don't <laughs> you're not a sinner no if no no you decide to skip yes. yeah. church on a Sunday yes. mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway all that to say so we've got these trends and they, they seem mostly to be motivated by this personal sense of pietism, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, moral scrupulosity. Scrupulosity? Mm, scrupulosity. Scrupulosity. Um, yeah, and I think, I guess I think that we can do better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. We've, nar- we've so narrowed down what it means to be a Christian and the practices of, of Christianity mm-hmm. to just those couple of things. Mm-hmm. And I think we're missing out on 
a wider array of right. what it means to be spiritually formed, right. that sort of thing. Well, and I think when we narrow it down like that, we like we do a disservice to everyone, to the church, mm -hmm. and like these practices form Christians and Christian behavior. Um, I mean, that's the point of ritual is like yeah. to do things over and over in a formative way. Yeah. And so when we narrow it down, I think we're narrowing, I guess, like the getting a little bit ahead of, ahead of myself but like the true wholeness that i think is like available through the gospel yeah. and and then that wholeness overflows out of you mm -hmm. into the world anyway. yeah 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 in large part protestant evangelical christianity and i'm here i guess speaking primarily about the church in america it's forgotten the formative aspects of the christian faith or the other formative aspects of the christian faith mm -hmm. so it can be as broad as like church architecture, architecture, mm -hmm. church architecture, um, where like you see all these Gothic cathedrals and yeah, there's an argument that can be made about, you know, old churches in Europe that, mm -hmm. you know, so much money was spent on those and instead could have been used to feed the poor. Fine, there's an argument to be made about that. But the theology behind it was that the reason why they built those churches so big and so tall was it was supposed to point to the smallness of the person mm -hmm. in light of a big god and it was supposed to direct their gaze heavenward mm -hmm. that's why they have those those tall towers right or like even within the church well like the shape building. of the sanctuary yeah too yeah it's in the, the cross. cross yeah With and the then altar in the middle mm -hmm. yeah yeah like the 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 altar where they serve communion is in the middle mm -hmm. where jesus heart would have been yeah. placed on the cross. And it's a communal act by yeah. the church right in the middle. Yeah. Or even within, like, for Protestant evangelical circles, the the primacy is on, is placed on the Bible. Mm -hmm. Like, that's our final authority, right? And that's great. But I think something that's lost in putting the pulpit in the center of the sanctuary mm -hmm. is that communal formative aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Like, if you look at an Anglican church or a I think Lutheran churches might be similar, but I know Roman Catholic churches mm -hmm. in particular, the pulpit is off to the side mm. of the church, and then in the center is the altar where communion is right. is is practiced. Right. Or even confession, like mm. you'll see this obviously primarily more with Roman Catholic churches. Yeah. But like to to make confession a regular practice of the church body. I think it's lost in Protestant circles because mm -hmm. it's like, oh no, we don't confess to a, a priest and he doesn't forgive us of our sins. We're Jesus priests. does, right? Right. And th there's something to be said about that, yes. Definitely. But I think something that's lost because of that theological truth mm -hmm. is the practice of confessing our sins to one another. Right. Right. And yeah, it's like an overapplication of right. a truth. Yeah. All that to say, I think Protestant evangelicalisms idea of holiness is a bit uh is seen through a straw we're missing some missing what it what it's actually trying to yeah. get at. um i mean with that in mind i guess we're gonna get into a little bit of bible study here which is our <laughs> wheelhouse <laughs> sorry that ruth has to sit through this we'll no. be we'll be <laughs> no yeah <laughs> she's cool like oh stuff. very interesting very interesting goes back to candy crush on her phone i don't have candy crush okay. on phone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah i guess the question is what uh 
what is the Bible talking about when we see the word holy mm-hmm. in the biblical text? Yeah, because yeah, it's so often the way the way we define and the way we've approached holiness and mm-hmm. practices that lead to holiness. It's led to a us versus them mm-hmm. right. mentality and right, yeah, for and sure. even like a prideful sure. mentality, maybe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the problem is that we, when we come across English words in our biblical text, we download whatever idea we have about that word into the biblical text, which it might not be the, the word that is originally there from the Hebrew or the Greek might not have the same connotations that we have when we think of the word holy. Um, yeah, so I'll take the Hebrew, you take the Greek. Everyone stick <laughs> with us. We're going to have some Bible nerd moments for a bit. Um, but yeah, so the Hebrew word is kadosh. Um, and a lot of people, when they think of the word holy, they think of set apart. Um, but in the Old Testament, kadosh is used of a lot of a lot of different things, like the tabernacle and the instruments that are used in the tabernacle, for instance. Those things are holy. Um, obviously, the famous story where Moses talks to God through the burning bush, uh, it's holy ground, right? Um, and we wouldn't say that those things are uh, morally um, perfect or, or um, it's not a moral category uh, but more so it's just associating something or someone with the divine identity which would have probably been more faithful to how they would have thought um, yeah so it's it's more about identity than it is about morality uh, the word holy as we see it in the in the Old Testament and so I think the the thing is, we do have a word in English that I think better is a more faithful translation, um, and that would be the word sacred. Mm-hmm. So I think we use sacred, essentially meaning categorized by the divine, sacred yeah. space. Or at um, least religious. Right, 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 right. Absolutely. Um, and there's never going to be a one-to-one when it comes to the meaning of an English word versus the meaning of a, of a Hebrew or Greek word, or any other language for that matter. Right. Um, but there is, I think there's more overlap between sacred and kadosh than there is between holy and kadosh uh, as it's used in modern yeah. colloquial English. Yeah. yeah, and the same idea kind of essentially carries into the New Testament, particularly in the Apostle Paul's writings where he's very, very much concentrated on um, not only right belief, but even more so um, right action. So like mm-hmm. this is who you are in Christ now, and this is how you, you ought to act in light of that identity. Mm-hmm. So the the term that's often translated as holiness or um, like sanctification mm-hmm. in some translations is this word hagiosmos. Um, and it connotes, um, and it tells of both a process and a result of Christ's work. So a lot of, a lot of it um, is wrapped up in, um, in what, what you do uh, and the things that you do, the things that you say, the things uh, like how you act, uh, and it basically it assumes that you've been reconciled to God through Christ's work on the mm-hmm. cross and His resurrection, and then that's being carried out in the life of a believer by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's very much reliant on not only yourself, but um, or not only yourself, but on the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, Paul over and over again uses this this word and the different forms of this word as a command like to make yourself holy or to set yourself apart so and it's not only to make yourself unique or different or like separate yourself from evil things yeah but it's um 
but it's a setting apart of places and objects and in this case people you know christians yeah from a state of purity to or from a state of impurity to a state of purity so it's and it's directed towards a particular goal mm-hmm. um directed towards um becoming more like christ the way the apostle paul uses it mm-hmm. so it's not just yeah it's not just a separatist notion of i'm different from they are mm-hmm. right, right um and at the same time it's both passive because it's the holy spirit's work mm-hmm. but very much active in the fact that we're commanded to actively separate ourselves to god not just from evil Yeah, so I think kind of what we're getting at with, with I guess, uh, maybe taking a look at, at the Bible's uh, meaning of these words, holy and sacred, is that perhaps we should, I guess, the, the phrase I'm going to say is perhaps we should be pursuing a sacred life through, like, wholeness. Um, and so I guess that's where our guest comes in, our esteemed yeah. guest. Um, and I guess uh, there's a few ways that I think we've all been learning um, just how to reckon with what's going on uh, inside of ourselves, spiritually, emotionally, even physically. Um, and that's helping us essentially achieve, quote unquote, holiness a bit better in our interactions with others and the world. Um, but it kind of, at least for me, it seemed to start from looking inside, mm-hmm. um, which I know is generally can be frowned upon by like church communities. It's like, it's not about looking inside. It's about, you know, whatever. Hmm. Um, so I guess, um, yeah, Ruth, maybe if you could speak a little bit on that um, and you can, you can take it wherever you need to, but about, I guess, self-awareness and like the role that that plays in our spiritual lives. Sure. Yeah. And so I think I want to start with a key point in scrupulosity that I didn't actually mm. touch on yeah. when I initially described it. Mm-hmm. I think where it goes south is this like pathological level of guilt. Mm. That is what really does you in with scrupulosity. Mm. And so, you know, even in terms of like the spiritual practices that you're describing, mm. I think we can all agree those are very helpful. Yeah. But when they're attached to morality and a sense of judgment of who is in the right and who is in the wrong based on their attendance or based on their prayer life, whatever, that's when the guilt sets in, you start judging others, and ultimately you're judging yourself. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. And then, yeah, so self-awareness, um, the looking inwards piece, mm. um, I think it's something we can't afford to not do. Um, I think there is a level of privilege that comes with doing it, right? Because, you know, if your basic needs are not being met, Mm. looking inwards is kind of on the back burner. Right. So acknowledging that um, as well. Right. Um, But 
when you take the time to observe what's going on in the inside, that's when you can mindfully interact with the outside. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of, I, mean, I think there's like a pretty common thing where it's like, you know, don't like just react, mm. respond. Mm. Um, so like there's a thoughtfulness, right, in mm -hmm. how you act. Mm. And I think that comes with an understanding of your own motivations, your own blind spots, mm. um, your own history, right, that, that influences why you act the way you act or mm -hmm. you respond the way you respond. Um, so yeah, that's what I would just mm. say is my first stab at self-awareness. Yeah. No, that's good. <laughs> would you say, or um, are there any tools that yeah. you find particularly helpful uh, when like pursuing that? Yeah. So there's a few. Um, I'll start with the Enneagram. Uh, the Enneagram is really helpful. Um, and briefly, it does a lot, but one of the things that it has done, especially for me, is show me where I developed certain defense mechanisms mm. um, and was living out of those defense mechanisms. And the idea of a defense mechanism is primarily to defend you against something that is threatening you. Mm. Um, and we all develop them. Uh, it doesn't really matter if you've had like the perfect childhood or whatever, mm -hmm. um, we've all got them. And at some point, your defense mechanisms stop protecting you and start inhibiting you from really engaging with your world mm. and the people in it, mm. um, whether we like to acknowledge that or not. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I would say that has been one really great tool for me yeah. um, that I love to use. Yeah. Um, hmm. I think counseling is great. <laughs> yes. uh, counseling is definitely great. Just like you can, you can get my business card <laughs> information. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Counseling is awesome because uh, no two counselors look the same. Mm. Um, in the same way that no two people look the same. Mm. So we're all in this together. Yeah. Um, now counselors can vary in their theoretical orientation, but I think it's safe to say that no matter what the theoretical orientation of your counselor is, it is agreed upon that the counselor and the client, you, <laughs> um, you're just two humans and two humans sharing a space, bringing their full human self into this space. Um, now that could be varying in degree, you know, depending on, you know, what their approach is. Mm -hmm. But the idea is your counselor is not a perfect human being. They're not Buddha. They're not like this all-knowing mm -hmm. being, right? So they're just human. Right. And in being human, they have their own flaws. They have their own blind spots, mm. their strengths and their weaknesses, the same way you do. Mm. So there's something very powerful about coming with a non-judgmental attitude mm. with another human being mm. and being like, yeah, this is who I am. This is who you are. Now let's work together let's collaborate on this mm. and reach a common goal mm. um, for you, the client. So yeah, that's another good way of <laughs> going about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm with that. Uh, I would say there's probably some people who think that all you need is the Bible, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that if you just read it enough, you know, it has everything that we need. Um, there's, no, there's no reason to engage in some of these other things like counseling or you know, the Enneagram, whatever it is. Yeah. I guess, like, do you have anything, a word on that, I guess? 
Hmm. Whichever way you want to go. Yeah, so resistance to looking outside of the Bible for help. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just what you guys were saying, right? Like there's a community aspect that you would be a fool to ignore if all you think is the Bible in your room, Mm -hmm. shut up in there. Right, right. You can easily get into a vacuum, Mm -hmm. one. Two, I think there is space to dialogue with other human beings, even if they think differently from you. So like, what is the harm in just stepping outside of yourself and having a conversation and bringing some of your thoughts and questions to a space Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. for dialogue. Um, I think that's where a lot of us go wrong sometimes when we don't make space for dialogue. Right. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've seen that even, I guess like even with church leaders sometimes, it's okay. like, like I, I so <laughs> this is just, being candid but sometimes I'm like man I think there's some things in your past that you got to address that's that I guess some of this preaching is coming out of which not necessarily but I don't know to me it seems like the only way forward as far as like right living and right acting is like by figuring out what's going on inside you know what I mean yeah because I mean like you said it lets me see like how I'm reacting yeah. mm-hmm. and not necessarily judging it because you know if I'm angry there's probably a reason that mm-hmm. I'm angry right um, and one thing that I've learned actually I think Ruth has taught me is like um, like for instance when when something happens uh, that that upsets me but it should upset me to like a level four or something like that on a scale of one to ten it should mm-hmm. be like a four on the upset me uh, scale but then I'm like upset at like a nine <laughs> you know what I'm saying and it's like really uh, and even like if the the four the thing that upset me the trigger like is like resolved I'm like still angry right. because there's like this other right. uh, yeah. I guess this other leftover mm-hmm. um, yeah there's like residual yeah um, from like maybe yeah. previous experiences um, yeah. which I feel like is something yeah, yeah that you that you've talked about but yeah I think self understanding is it's gotten such a bad rap. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, especially within church. But if you take a look at, I'm thinking specifically about church father Augustine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't even know. He was one of the first couple centuries of the mm-hmm. establishment of the Christian church. Yeah. He's over in Africa. But he wrote this book. It's basically an autobiography called Confessions. And he just, it's just a couple of books put together. It's just him in a process of self-discovery yeah and you read it and it's like man this guy has thought about how he has acted how he has thought how he has believed yeah and how that has led to his actions he's thought about that in mm-hmm. such a way that is is not valued by the church i don't think mm-hmm. and i think and he ended up writing so much of the foundational theology of Christian mm. of right. of Christianity. Right. And I think a lot of that stemmed from his understanding of himself and his understanding of his own sinfulness and proclivities mm. and just yeah. his weaknesses. Right. And obviously all those in light of Christ. Right. But his understanding of who he was in Christ was very much grounded on the understanding of who he was before Christ. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And so I think we do ourselves a disservice and the when church in general a disservice if we don't do stuff like right. that. Well, I mean, that's the thing that I've been learning about the Enneagram. We're talking a little bit about the Enneagram. It might 
just a quick overview. It's uh, a personality typing system. Um, not a personality not test. Not a personality right? test. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, it's so nice. Well, people will compare it to like the Myers-Briggs, but it's not intended to be that. Um, it's really supposed to be a path for like spiritual like uh, um, uh, introspection um, and growth. Um, but anyway, there's essentially they have nine different types um, which categorize mm-hmm. people um, and how we essentially it's how we cope with with life and the, like the tough like the tough stuff of life. Um, and as Pastor Joe, um, who is going to be the officiant at our wedding, anyway, Pastor Joe is an Enneagram guy. And he says that everyone's in the mud with the Enneagram. So it's like what you're saying with Augustine. It's not like mm-hmm. we should be happy about, you know, this is who I am. Right. But rather it's, man, this is how I've, yeah. uh, these are the defense mechanisms that I built as a young child, as Ruth said. And they're no longer useful to me as a 25-year-old yeah. person. They were helpful for five-year-old mm-hmm. Luke to understand what was going on in his context, Mm -hmm. but they're really actually detrimental to 25 year old uh, Lucas, who's trying to figure out his world. Um, And so, yeah, when those things don't go, uh, when they go unseen and unaddressed, that's when you can get these residual, uh, residual like emotional reactions. And uh, really just instead of, yeah, instead of, viewing the situation and responding we're just reacting out of our own uh unaddressed pain and hurt uh which we all have um yeah yeah so i I think i think that's where we're trying to go with this holiness thing is that it is like these things aren't bad in of in and of themselves um but when we take a look inside that's when we're kind of free to actually engage the world perhaps better as christ followers um, rather than just trying to uphold certain rules so yeah. that we can feel better about our individual moral standing. Yeah. And it's important to note, too, that the looking inside doesn't, that's not where the buck stops. No, absolutely yeah. not. You know, I, I think mean, that's yeah. what, that's what the, one, the common caricature of this sort of yeah. thinking. Like self-actualization, yeah. and that's like all right. that matters. Yeah. And yeah, maybe there are some <laughs> books or resources right. or whatever that do right. focus on that. But I think I think we can all agree that it moves beyond yourself into, I think, a, a, a very key aspect of human existence. It's community. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. something that I, that I just kept hearing when when you were speaking, Ruth, is just that, it's understanding yourself and the way you act and the way you think, in order to better relate to mm-hmm. other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose behind the work. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's more than just the traditional. Yeah. spiritual differences as as great as they are it's good foundation i think right. i still think they're good foundation but yeah let's not get into the it's definitely somewhere to start if right. you haven't done anything and you're a newly saved christian absolutely mm-hmm. yeah bible get familiar with biblical yeah. literature in a community i'd say yes yeah for sure prayer in a community right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i agree yeah i would say i'm just thinking a lot about this stuff yeah lately <laughs> yeah. um and of course everyone's on, on a journey yeah. so you may be in a different space than your friend or whoever so they may be more prepared to do this than you are depending on where you're at but i would say have like openness to learning from people who actually believe and think differently from you 
um, just like opening yourself up to more perspective doesn't mean you need to reflect that perspective. Mm -hmm. I just think when you have an open palm attitude with your beliefs and your views, there's like strength in that. Mm. Um, it's that interesting balance because I feel like sometimes people who are like more insecure in what they believe are like clinging onto it like so tightly. Mm. Um, and like everyone can see it. Mm. It's like, mm. man, you're like really on thin ice there. Mm. You're like clinging on for dear life. Right. But when there is like an openness and a willingness to like engage on different levels of thought and other like views, as I said, you don't have to think the same things. Mm -hmm. But a willingness to engage, I think that's like, that's a showing of strength mm. and maturity mm. in your own spirituality um, and your own like ability to like know yourself. Mm. When you know yourself, I think everyone else knows it too. Mm. Um, because I think the people who are most confident in who they are, who they are, are the ones that are so willing to like engage with you on all sorts of conversations, and also willing to admit when they're wrong. Mm. Um, just willing to take a closer look at what they believe too. Mm -hmm. So, as I said, everyone's like on a journey, mm. and for some people, right now, maybe all you can think about right now is okay, like what are like what are even my basic values. Mm. What are they? Because mm. I haven't thought about them in X amount of years. Right. Mm -hmm. They were taught to me. What by motivates my, me? Right. What yeah. motivates me? Mm. So maybe that's where you're at. Mm -hmm. And that's perfectly fine. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Yeah. 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 That's totally good. Yeah. All that to say, I, yeah, I think what we're trying to get is, get at is that this whole idea of spiritual formation and spiritual mm -hmm. formative practices, it might mm. be broader yeah. than yeah. what we normally would think and I think something that's key is just to bring it to a close is that it's some it's formative mm -hmm. as it says in mm -hmm. the in the in the name so it yeah. forms you towards a specific telos towards a specific mm -hmm. end yeah. mm -hmm. um, and for the Christian obviously that that end is looking more like like Christ mm -hmm. through the yes. work of the Holy Spirit and these very active practices on on our end um, German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his short little book about Christian community titled life together talks about how um, how the life of a, a community particularly a Christian community can only be mediated by Christ like that's mm -hmm. the only way that we're gonna get to know uh, each other and then ourselves as well um, but in knowing ourselves it's it's with the goal of um, being found to look more like Christ but then also to relate better yeah. with other people yeah. in that community well and it's hard I think one of the I guess to the some of the folks who might be like you know looking inward is not what we should be doing you know um, I guess to me I think it's kind of an easy answer because looking inward is like really hard like it's yeah. actually like it's painful mm -hmm. at least it has been for me when I've done it which I don't always do it but like when you do it it's like man there's a lot of stuff back there that I would rather just leave back yeah. there that would be yeah. what I would rather do but I think yeah I think it's to me I think that's what we're getting at or what Christ is getting at when it's when he's saying like you have to or I guess Paul when he when he says like you have to die to yourself mm -hmm. like it really is like a like a mortification mm -hmm. of like like the the things that you hold on to that are like this is who I am like yeah. I'm Luke you know type yeah. fives it's like you know I'm Mr. Smart Guy Mr. Expert like that's like who I am and that's like what I hold on to mm -hmm. but like really that's not who I am like I'm a child of God yeah. and yeah. like yeah. that's like my true identity and so I think yeah 
like the introspection like just gives light to how essentially you don't uh or how you don't want to like be like christ essentially yeah because we yeah. have like certain uh pillars that we wrap our identity right. around yeah. or you can even think of it like a cast like i feel like my arm is broken so i put a cast on it to support it like and you could say like like maybe like my soul is like fractured in certain areas mm-hmm. so i put like a cast of like identity uh or like a, a caricature so that i don't have to like deal with right. that hurt yeah. 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 It, for as much as the Apostle Paul or any of the New Testament writers talk about our new identity in Christ, the foundation is always who you were before Christ. Yeah. yeah. And then understanding that in through the lens of the cross. Yes. So you can't, I don't know if you can really fully understand or appreciate your new identity in Christ. I'm not saying you can't appreciate your yeah, new identity yeah. in Christ. I'm saying you can't fully appreciate your new identity in Christ without really understanding like your your identity before Christ, mm. right? Mm. Right. Absolutely. And that takes a lot of introspection, just hard work, just looking yeah. inward within yourself towards becoming like Christ. Yeah. Yes. Ruth, thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah we really you. appreciate it. Really appreciate thanks. it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, and you, the listener. Thanks for listening. Um, hopefully, that's been engaging and thought provoking. As always, please go ahead and rate, comment, ask questions, and subscribe. Um, we do have a phone number on which you can leave short, I'm going to emphasize short, <laughs> voice messages. And uh, uh, if you don't want us to air it or if you do want us to air it on an episode or something, you can let us know or yeah. whatever. But but yeah, engage with us on that format as well. We'd love to hear your questions and your thoughts on, mm. on this episode. But, uh, well... This has been Questions from the Pew. I'm Rackett Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time. Bye.